All right, at this point, I'm going to read our scripture for the day. Um, as I mentioned, in your program today, um, there's a component there that we're going to be using during service. So if you did not get a program on your way in, can you raise your hand so that the greeters can provide you with what you're going to need? They're going to come around as I read the scripture. Um, okay, great, Lester's there. Okay, I'm going to be reading from the book of Luke, starting at chapter 1, reading verses 13 to 18. And the scripture will appear on the screens to my left and right for you to follow along. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The word of the Lord. What's going on, everybody? My name is Jordan. I am one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody here. Uh, Can you still say Happy New Year? It's the 8th. At what point do you get annoyed that people are still saying Happy New Year? Hey, I don't know if you have any memories um, that when you think about them, uh, when you kind of go over the story in your head, uh, you start getting anxiety and nervous just at the mere thought. Uh, I have this one memory from about a decade ago, my first year in law school, uh, in contracts class. And there was this one professor in the school who was absolutely no joke, Professor Wright. Now, Professor Wright was uh, an amazingly sharp mind. Uh, She graded extremely difficult. Um, And when you got to her class, uh, you knew that she was not playing no games. As soon as she would walk into class, everybody would get quiet. Everybody would run to their seats and sit down and start praying. (laughs) Even people who weren't Christian were praying. I saw everybody, they were praying to whoever they thought uh, would help them in that class because uh, she was not there to play any games with anybody. So everybody would read like crazy the night before to prepare for her class because the last thing you ever wanted to be was called on by Professor Wright and you were not prepared. So she would look down in her book, and it would be silent for about 10 seconds, and everybody's heart would just stop for like those 10 seconds. And then finally, one day, she called on me. And I was super nervous, right? Palms were sweaty, knees weak, arms were heavy. I was (laughs) about to vomit, basically. Uh, And she put her glasses on, and she brushed her dreadlocks back, and she says, Mr. Rice, tell me about the O'Connor case. And I was so nervous that I barely mustered up the strength to let words come out of my mouth because I had seen her deal um, and slaughter some of my classmates already. 
Like she would put you on blast in front of 100 people and, and would dice you up. So every single day I would read meticulously to prepare for her class. Uh, and unsurprisingly, in all of my reading for contracts classes, I never was moved in my heart reading about a contracts case. It wasn't something that I did that motivated me in any other way was I didn't want to get embarrassed. I knew I had to do this, and I had to do it, so I did it. Now, unfortunately, for the first number of years in my spiritual life, and my spiritual formation, much of the spiritual practices I did, reading the Bible and praying, uh, was similar to how I prepared for Professor Wright's class. I thought that God was like this angry professor, and one day, God was going to call me out. God was going to ask me to show him how prepared I was. So I memorized a lot of scripture, I read a lot, and I said a lot of prayers, and I did a lot of spiritual activity, all gained, all aimed at connecting with God, but in reality, I was just trying not to look stupid in the day that God was going to call on me. And all of my motivations uh, weren't necessarily the best. Uh, I was out of fear. I was terrified that one day I would have to answer, and one day I'm going to stand before the judgment seat, and God is going to ask you, why didn't you read? Why didn't you read Lamentations? I'm like, I thought that was a movie, the, la- the, the Temptations, the Lamentations. I didn't know. Now, over the years, I have a graveyard of failed experiences, of failed attempts at connecting with God. If you name it, I've done it. I've gone to the services, the four or five-hour services where there's an old lady trying to push you on the ground and people dumping oil on your head. Uh, I've gone to the really educated liturgical churches where, well, if I just read this formula, then I'll connect to God. Uh, But all of my years, deep down inside, I did have this yearning to connect to God, but always didn't know how to do it. So how do we connect to God? I'm not talking about checking a box. Uh, I'm not talking about completing an assignment. I'm not talking about being prepared for class. Uh, How do we do things in which we can connect with God? Now, last week, Aswan did a great job talking about spiritual growth. And in it, he mentioned two very real truths about connecting with God is that it's gradual and it's intentional, right? The real growth, the real connection that you want with God uh, as a father is gradual, that no relationship that you have now that's thriving, that's benefiting, that's benefiting you is something that you got overnight. And I would put a, a, a relationship that has stood the test of time over something that has just started, uh, and, and I'd put a bet on that in a heartbeat. Now, all the things we want from God, they're, they're gradual. Nothing good that happens in our life, no good relationship that we have in our life happens uh, immediately. But secondly, it also is intentional. Nobody will ever one morning just stumble and just wake up and look back and say, yo, I had no idea that I was going to just grow with God like that. Man, that was incredible. I didn't do anything to get it. I just kind of, I don't know what happened. I just woke up and now I'm full of faith. Now I just know a whole bunch of scriptures. Now I can pray for people. Now I feel connected to God. Uh, It doesn't work like that. That real Christian growth, real Christian character, the thing that we want is both gradual and intentional. Uh, But how do we connect with God? Here's what I know to be true about me, and it might be true about you. Uh, Maybe you've tried a bunch of reading plans, books, lectures, church services, uh, and none seem to really be working. Uh, You come to church and you're energized, but Monday to Saturday, uh, you're kind of stuck in a rut. Maybe you really want to pray more, but you don't know where to start. 
right? You really do have this goal for 2017. In 2016, you looked over your life and you were like, hey, man, I really wish I would have prayed more and worried less. I really wish I would have prayed more and complained less. In 2017, new year, new me, I'm going to pray a whole lot more. Maybe you feel stuck in the same spot. Uh, You come to church and you're hoping to get motivated to go somewhere else, but uh, you kind of feel stuck in the same place. Maybe you want to study the Bible, but you don't know where to start. Now, there are a lot of ways you can connect with God. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of ways you can connect with God. But at Renaissance, uh, we've been going through something a little bit last year, and this year it's becoming more and more of an emphasis that we want to do together in one way that all of us can connect with God in a way that is actually life-giving, in a way that doesn't turn you into just simply a Bible nerd, but that you would experience uh, God every single day, that you would experience real, meaningful prayers, that you would get out of your rut wherever you are, that you wouldn't be stuck in the same place, that you would know more, that you'd be able to talk about your faith, that you'd be able to talk about the gospel in ways that actually made sense and were connected to your life. And this is what we're doing this year. Uh, It's called CBR, uh, Community Bible Reading, but all the cool kids call it CBR, so don't call it Community Bible Reading. Um, The hashtag is way too long anyway. So uh, CBR is basically, it's a daily reading and prayer plan, and it's something that we're doing together at Renaissance. Um, And today, uh, I wanted to kind of go through in more detail what it actually looks like and, and hopefully paint a picture. And hopefully by the end of today, you'd be saying to yourself, yo, this is something that I would want to experience in my life on a daily basis. This is something that actually gives me life, and it's not just guilt-ridden. Uh, it's not just another box to check, but this is something that I can actually do that I would actually really benefit from. Now, on your way in, you should have gotten a sheet of paper, uh, and it basically is one day's uh, example of what a CBR entry would look like, and you can pull that out, and we can go along this uh, together. Now, the first thing it starts with is something called surrendering through prayer, Uh, and this is a really, really, really important way to start. Normally, what I do is um, I'll set a timer on my phone, and for about two minutes, it will just be silence. And I love, I'm an extrovert on steroids. I love to talk. I love to talk to people. So two minutes of silence to me feels like I'm dying, right? You have to come in with an oxygen mask at the end of the two minutes and resuscitate me. Um, So I start off with two minutes of silence. And um, in these times, I'm surrendering to God. Now, I thought about it. Like, hey, surrender, that's a pretty intense word. Like, why would they choose surrender? Why don't they just say, "You you should start your day by praying And I thought about it for a number of reasons. Uh, The things that we want from God, uh, illumination, right? We want God to show us things that we didn't know. When we start in a position where we're saying, God, I surrender to you, we're saying, God, I don't know at all. There are some things that I really need to know that I don't know, and I need you to tell me them. Whether it's for transformation, God, there are some things about me, inside of me, uh, that I need to be changed, and I can't change it. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried by myself. I need you to do it. I need you to lead me away from this. I need you to push me in in a direction that I can't take myself. Or maybe it's simply just surrender and say, God, I want to give you my life. I want my life not to be used for myself. I want to give it to you, and I want you to show me how I can actually live that out. So that's the first thing, and it's really important that you and I start with surrendering. Um, A.W. Tozer says it like this. He says, uh, the reason why many are still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. 
And I see that so often within myself, interfering with God's work within me because I'm still trying to set the pace for how things should go. Uh, The second part is to listen to the Scripture. And every single day, uh, there is a selection of Scripture that you should read. Now, there's Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, We're asking everybody this year to just read the New Testament. If you're feeling adventurous, go ahead and do the Old Testament as well. Uh, but we're asking everybody to just go through the New Testament Scripture with us, and it's one, scripture, it's one chapter of Scripture a day. And this is really, really important. If you miss a day, don't try to go back 13 days. You've all done that, right? You miss like a week, and you're like, it's cool, because next week I'm just going to bang out the whole book of Isaiah. It's going to be good. <laughs> and you're continuing to kick the can down the road and delay it and delay it and delay it, uh, because you know you don't have the time to read through that much. If you miss a day, if you miss five days, if you miss 15 days, pick up exactly where the plan uh, has left off. And this is the 2017 version. Um, so even if you had a two, 2016 version, we want you to get one also. And every day there's a scripture and you just listen to that scripture. You just read it and don't do anything just yet. Just simply read it. Now, the third section is where we're going to spend the most of our time today talking about. It's called praying through your pen. And this is a way for us to engage in Scripture in a way that's not simply um, memorization, but more aimed at transformation. What are we hoping that God does through us through this text? Now, there's four very specific windows that you'll see on your sheet. You can pull those out. Um, It's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Now, the order is really, really, really important on how you do this. Uh, here's uh, Here's how I used to pray for years. I only did two things in my prayers. I would ask God to do things, and then I would say sorry for all the ways I messed up, right? God, I need you to do this, and this, and this, and this, and I'm really sorry I didn't do this, and I'm sorry I did do this, right? And then you leave, you're done praying, and you feel pretty terrible. You feel like, man, that, that wasn't life-giving at all. All you did was ask for stuff that you may or may not get, and say sorry for all the stuff that you definitely did do. Um, and it doesn't feel life-giving. It feels draining, actually. Uh, And the reason that CBR starts with adoration, adoration is basically adoring and praising God for who he is. This is what you're doing. You're coming to the scripture, asking the question, who does the scripture say that God is? Here's the most important question you will ever answer in your life. Who is God? You will never answer a more important question in your life than this. Who is God? And every single day, we're listening to the scripture and we're asking the scripture the first question, What does this scripture tell me about the nature and the character of God? Now, adoration is very different from thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is thanking God for what God has done. Adoration is saying this is thanking and praising God for who God is. And every single day, the first question we're trying to answer, the first thing we're trying to center ourselves around is who is God? So often we get that order wrong, and we answer the question, this is what we normally do. We say, what should I be doing? Just, God, tell me what I should be doing. Uh, When I first started reading the Bible, I had the whole Bible on the bed trick. Anybody ever do that? You drop the Bible on the bed, and wherever it lands, wherever the page opens to, like, that's the word of the Lord for today. (laughs) That's not the right way. And whatever that scripture told me to do, I was like, all right, you know. Okay, that's where we're going today, right? Uh, But that's obviously not a a good plan. Uh, If you start with what you should be doing, that road only leads to pride or to guilt. If you get on the highway of starting with what you should be doing, you're only going to get off. There's only two exits, pride and guilt. Because if you do do it, you're going to be prideful. Because now all of your behavior is detached from who God is. 
This is a bunch of stuff that you did and you hit a home run. You're amazing. You'll be prideful. Or what I've done so many times, I know what I should be doing and I don't do it. And now I feel terrible. Now I feel so guilty. And I don't feel connected to God. I don't feel close to God. I just feel like a failure. So CBR starts with adoration, answering the question, who is God? And we're going to look through the scripture uh, today in Luke 1 that Jessica read earlier. Now, uh, let me catch you guys up a little bit so you don't step into the story halfway. It's about three different people, uh, Elizabeth, Zechariah, and John. And John is oftentimes called John the Baptist, and it's not because it's not John the Methodist or John the Catholic. It wasn't that. It was that his career was spent baptizing people, uh, and he baptized Jesus himself. So he was known as John the Baptist. And if you're new to Christianity, uh, you'll hear John's name a lot uh, when people talk about the gospel accounts of Jesus' life because he was a really, really important person. Now, John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had been trying to have kids for a really long time and, and could not have kids. And then we see the story pick up here in verse 13. It says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, what does this scripture right here show us about who God is? Just in reading this right here. What does this scripture show us, not about necessarily um, uh, what we can thank God for, but who God is? And here's what I, I found, and I saw this in my CBR. I wrote this down in my CBR journal for the day, that God does things proactively. God has a plan that's proactive. God doesn't sit around. He's not sitting back on Twitter looking at his mentions, waiting to respond to something. God has a plan. That you see here uh, with, the, with the birth of John, that God knew that Israel was going sideways. And he says, don't worry, I have a plan. And he uh, saw a problem that his people were going sideways, and he had a plan to restore humanity. And he was going to use a guy named John to make the way straight for Jesus to come. And when people were questioning whether or not God was with them, when people were questioning whether or not God was silent, why God wasn't doing anything, God had a plan. Here's what I love about this text, and here's what the, the thing I want you to walk away remembering. God knew. God cared. God had a plan to respond. That's what we say in this text. God knew what was going on. He knew that a Savior needed to come, and he knew that John the Baptist was going to be the guy to make the way straight for him, and God cared. He cared enough to, to meet with Elijah, I mean, to meet with uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah and let them know this is going to be what's going to happen. And God had a plan to respond. Even before John knew what was going on, even before Elizabeth knew what was going on, even before Zechariah knew what was going on, God had a plan. And here's what's so, so great about this. This is the way God operates. If this is true in the way that God operates, then your personal and present circumstances might not be the best indicator of God's activity in your life. God could be holding it all the way down for you, and you just don't know it. God has a plan, and God doesn't, actually all through, all through Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, you see that God has a plan. God is not uh, surprised. God is not caught off guard that God has a plan. 
in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, the first story in Scripture, you see that Adam and Eve sinned by eating the piece of fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. And it says they immediately made for themselves garments of fig leaves, right? So they had to cover themselves up with some tree branches, and it took some fig leaves. And it says immediately, God, when God encounters them, God presents them with garments of skin. Now, in the Garden of Eden, where there were no dead animals, God had already prepared a sacrifice before they even sinned. 1 Peter 1 and 20 says like this. It says, Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake, meaning that before this world was created, God knew that we would need a redeemer. And we would, and God cared so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us, and God had a plan to respond. Now, that's the good news, that God knows, God cares, and God has a plan to respond. God is not caught off guard. He is not surprised. God is not waiting for other things to happen for his plan to work. God has a plan that is proactive, not reactive. And that's good news for us. Now, I don't know where you are. Uh, maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you feel like you really need direction. Maybe there's some upcoming things that you feel that are too big for you to handle. And check this out. Listen, God knows about that. And God cares. And God has a plan to respond. Now, here's a few really good things about God's plans that we see from this scripture. Um, now, not only does God know and he care, he has a plan to respond, but God's plans sometimes take time to develop. That's the first thing we see from uh, this text right here, that God's plans take time to develop. Aswan did a great job last week preaching about the coming of Jesus and um, all of the different life stages that Jesus had to go through before he was, in fact, redeemer and savior for us, uh, that he was a baby and then a kid and then a teenager and an adolescent and all the different stages that Jesus went through. But he was, in fact, um, uh, for us and sent to be our, our savior. Same thing is true for John the Baptist. Uh, John and Jesus were about the same age. So basically, before John hit the ministry scene, it took about three decades for all the stuff that God said was going to happen about him to actually happen. It was no less true. It was no less real. It just took time to develop. Now, 30 years is a very long time. It's not long enough for the Knicks to win a championship, but it is. It's a very, very long time. You still got to have faith. There we go. God's plans for your life might take time to develop. Something that God is doing in your life might be very real, very true, very good, and it's just going to take time to develop. And you and I have to be patient in that. Second thing, I love this about the text. It says, uh, God's plans don't require human awareness. Right? So God's plans take time to develop, and not only that, but God's plans don't require that you are aware of what God is doing. All throughout the scripture, when you see John the Baptist uh, certainly as a kid, he had no idea all the lives he would touch. He had no idea all the things that he would do. His parents had no clue what was going on. As a matter of fact, John, uh, uh, Zechariah, and Elizabeth, uh, Zechariah's response was, God, how is this even going to happen? He was completely unaware of what was going to happen, but it still made it very real and very true that God's plans were going to happen regardless. Here's what's so great about this for you. God's plans don't require that you're aware of them for them to be good and for them to be happening. God could really be holding it all the way down in your life right now. There could be some things that God is planning for you that you have no idea about, and they're still very real, even though you don't know about it. Thirdly, God's plans don't require good probability to be trustworthy. God's plans don't require good probability to be trustworthy. Verse 18 
It says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah was a smart man. He didn't even give his wife's age. He says, I'm an old man and my wife, well, let's just say she's well along in years. But he got a word from the Lord that he and his wife are going to have a child. And it's presumed that they had tried over and over and over and over again for years and years and years and years. Now, it's one thing to feel like God is, has a plan for your life that may or may not happen. It's another thing for God to tell you something's going to happen that you've tried like a thousand times already. The odds that this would happen in their life had to have felt even lower because they had tried over and over and over and over again to have kids. And yet, God's plans don't require good probability for them to be true. For me, I need to know the probability of something before I really feel like I'm going to invest in them. But here's the, the good news for you. The things that we come to God with in prayer, they don't need to have a good probability for them to happen. And we see this over and over again through Scripture, that God intervenes in people's lives, not always in the timing that we want, uh, but he intervenes over and over again in people's lives. So that means that you and I can do this right here in times where we don't see what's going on or we can't um, do what we need to be done ourselves. It means that you and I will trust. We can trust God. That God, you know what's going on in my life. You know what's going on in my life. You're not ignorant. You're not unaware. And more importantly, God, you care. You care about what's going on with me. And even better than that, you have a plan to respond what's going on in my life and in this world. Now, uh, we'll move to the next point uh, in the sheet. The next one is confession. So we've spent some good time talking about the nature and the character of God, that God knows, God cares, God has a plan to respond. And if this is true, then what does Jordan need to confess of? Um, a lot of things, actually. And confession could serve in one of two ways. It could be something that's going on in your life that's not related to the scripture you just read, that you just want to confess to God. Or it could be something that you've uh, now encountered in relation to the scripture you just read. If this is all true, then what does it say about me? Uh, for me, this is one of the first things I, write, uh, I wrote in this one. The first thing I need to confess of is my impatience. My impatience. Now, my Amazon addiction is well-documented, and I was talking to a friend last night, and he said, Jordan, you know how bad we are? We're not just first-world people. Living in New York, we're first-first-world people. Like, you can have anything you want, not like in a day or two. You can have it today. Like, you can go on Prime now and get whatever you want. It'll be home before you are. Now, I love that. I love that a lot, and unfortunately, uh, that has actually trickled into my relationship with God, that when I have requests from God, I don't want it tomorrow. I don't want it next week. I don't want it next year. I want it now, and I'm terribly impatient, and sometimes a lot of that is because I think I'm a whole lot smarter than God is and when things should happen and when things shouldn't happen, but here's what we're, we're seeing, and here's what I've seen in my own life, that if I really trust God, then not only will I trust God's methods, but I'll also trust God's timing. And that's a tough one, and I need to con confess of my impatience uh, probably uh, on a daily basis. The second thing I put in the confession box is that uh, I'm way too self-reliant. I rely on myself way too much. Um, it's just something that uh, I get nervous and I get stressed out when I can't figure a situation out. But if it's true that God knows, God cares, and God has a plan to respond, and sometimes God's plans take a long time to develop, sometimes God's plans don't even have, I'm not even aware of what's going on then me being self-reliant is really not a good idea. Um, I like to 
know how to figure things out on my own. In Zechariah, you see this in verse 18. This is the question that I ask myself all the time. Well, how can this happen? Because I don't know. I can't figure this out on my own, basically, is what Zechariah is saying, that he couldn't do it on his own. And he was wanting to be aware of what was going on in order for him to feel like he can put his faith in God. So often, uh, I'm just like Zechariah. I'm asking those questions. God, how could this even happen? What are you even doing? Uh, Because I like to know. I like to feel like I'm in control. Even though I know I'm not in control of anything, it feels really good when I'm living in that delusion for like 30 seconds that I'm in control. Not only do I like to know what's going to happen, but I also... Uh, like to be able to do it. Like, I want God basically to pass me the peanut butter, the jelly, the bread, the butter knife, and say, all right, here you go. Everything you need is right here. And I'll say, all right, move out of the way. I got it from here. But all throughout Scripture, you see God intentionally placing people in positions where they have no choice but to rely on him. And it's super uncomfortable. It's actually probably the most uncomfortable thing that happens to anyone who journeys with Jesus, that we are in positions that God has put you in, that you cannot rely on yourself because you can't get out of the situation by yourself. And oftentimes, you and I need to confess that God, we're too self-reliant. If we really believed that you knew and you cared and you had a plan for all of this, then I wouldn't be this self-reliant. I wouldn't feel like I couldn't put my faith in you. I would actually just trust. I would know that when I look back on my life, when I look back on my life, I would say, God, you've been faithful. And looking ahead, I can say, God, you're able to do well able to do what I need to happen in my life. Now, the last thing that I confess of is something that uh, we see in the Scripture, and it's that I don't want God's plans to just include me. I want them to star me. I don't want God's plans to just include me. I don't want to be on the, like, the, the, the 19th page of the credits. I want to be front and center. I want them to benefit me. Uh, and I talked about this a couple of days ago on Twitter. I went a little tweet storm, uh, talking about some stuff. Uh, the new prosperity theology is not that you're going to get a plane or a car or you're going to get a Bentley, uh, but it's this, that one day all your haters are going to see you shining. All of them. They're going to see you sparkle, right? Everybody who doubted you, they're going to see you one day and they're going to be like, man, I wish I never doubted her. And that ultimately your vision for your life is going to be ultimately fulfilled. Everything you thought you were going to do, you're going to do it. Everything you thought you were going to be, you're going to be it. And that's mainly because we want God's plans for our life. We hear God's plans, and we see this in the Scripture with John, verse 15. Uh, It says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And we're like, yep, that's it. I'm going to be great in the sight of the Lord. Here we go. That's my memory verse for 2017. But God's definition of greatness is much different than our own. As a matter of fact, when you look at the life of John, uh, you don't see someone whose life rode this beautiful, uh, perfect, picturesque path. But rather, when John was getting up in his ministry, uh, uh, before he did everything he wanted to do, before he became everything he wanted to become, he got thrown in jail for telling Herod that the way he was living was wrong. And eventually, John wasn't released. He was beheaded. Herod's daughter asked for John's head on the plate, and that's what he got her. Now, this is what God calls greatness. God says that John the Baptist is going to be great, yet he went through an extraordinary amount of pain in his life and disappointment. Everybody who was around John didn't get to see John shining above all his haters, but they got to see their friend, their loved one, killed. Now, here's my confession from me when I, when I say, God, I want... 
I want to be great. God is like, well, I don't know that you know what great really is then. And so often when I want God's plan to star me or to benefit me, I have to rethink what, what greatness means, and I also have to rethink what God's plans could mean, that God's plans certainly include us, and God's story for our lives is much better than you could ever have on your own, uh, but that, God, I want to be a part of your story, and however you choose to use my life, use it. However you choose to use my life, use it. John's ministry was to make uh, straight the uh, make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That was his ministry. That's what God called John to do, to make people ready to, to smooth the path, to introduce people to Jesus, and he did just that, and he was great, even though his plans didn't necessarily benefit him directly. And sometimes God uses, God uses pain in our lives to advance his plan. It's not something that we love to talk about. It's not something that feels good at all, but God does use it. He doesn't waste anything. All of your pain, frustrations, all of the things, God doesn't waste not a single morsel of any of it. And move from confession to thanksgiving. Now, it's really important that you do not stop at confession because you see how bad you feel right now. You're like, God, I'm, shelf- I'm selfish. <laughs> they were right, God. They were right. I'm selfish. You never want th- to end that confession because you'll go away feeling uh, bad and defeated. You need to be reminded. So we've had this encounter with God's character. We've confessed the ways that we've unearthed some things in our hearts that are going on. And now we move to Thanksgiving. And here's what I wrote for Thanksgiving. And this part is much shorter, so you'll be thankful for that. Um, I'm thankful that God has a plan before I even make the mistakes. I'm thankful that God has deep love and appropriate expectations for me. Now, I uh, am a parent. My son is almost two years old now, and I have very appropriate expectations for him. I have a deep love and appropriate expectations. Like, I know when I walk in there in the morning, he is going to have a diaper full of gold. (laughs) I know that, and I'm going to clean it every single time. I have a, and if he were to be frustrated with himself for going to the bathroom on himself, uh, that would be unwise of him, because that's where he's at. And as his dad, I don't love him any less because he is exactly where he's supposed to be. You and I have this myth that you're supposed to be perfect by now, and you've been going to Renaissance for like six months, and you're still not perfect? Here's what I'm thankful for. God, you have deep love and appropriate expectations for me. Deep love and appropriate expectations, and if I don't get anything else out of uh, my interaction with you, I'm grateful for that. We see this all throughout Scripture. God's deep love for us uh, even with the coming back of the prodigal son, the son was ready to give the father all these explanations for all the mistakes he made, and the father just gave him a big old hug. Man, God loves us. That's the story of the gospel. And if you're not thankful for that, uh, all of your behavior is going to be motivated by uh, trying to not make God angry. Uh, but God has deep love for his children, seen in the gift of Christ for us. The last one uh, is supplication. Now, supplication is asking God to transform us. So in light of everything, God, this is who you are. You know, you, have, uh, you care, you have a plan for this. And God, these are all the things that are true about me, that I'm selfish, I'm this, or all the things uh, in, embedded in your gratitude, giving God thanks. Uh, supplication is the last thing we do, asking God to transform us in specific ways. What are the ways that you're hoping that God changes your heart? What are the ways that you're asking, that you're hoping that God actually deeply, meaningfully changes you? Not things that you can do yourself. I'm not talking about a self-help book. What are the ways that God, that you really want God to change you? Uh, here's what I wrote for, for myself. Um, 
a lot of what I want um, and a lot of my inability to trust God that he knows and he cares about me um, is just from past hurts and disappointments in life. I once heard a pastor say that they've never been disappointed in God, and I was like, well, I have plenty of times. Uh, years ago, I, I told the story a number of times. Um, my wife and I are both widowed. Uh, she lost her husband in a motorcycle accident. I lost my late wife to cancer. Uh, and I remember being in a hospital one day, and uh, we got the best news we ever could have gotten. Her cancer was in remission. And I remember just that feeling of just like, like I don't know if you've ever been so happy you've just screamed. So happy. And I remember sitting in a hospital one day, and they brought in all these medical students. It's like a parade of doctors and medical students all examining her and like, wow, she's in remission. It's like, yeah, man, you know, this is how we do. We go into a little remission. You know, that's just, that's just what we do around here, you know. And we were so, 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 so excited. We were so happy. Uh, I could not have been happier in my life. And I remember uh, just as quickly as the cancer went, it came back. And a couple months later, sitting in that same hospital, but this time there wasn't a parade of people telling us how good things were, uh, but just a slow trickle of doctors asking us how we were doing. And I watched her uh, continue to um, uh, slim down and to the cancer to continue to advance until she died. And I remember saying this to myself, God, I will never be that happy again. I will never get that up. I will never get that excited about anything in life. I will never trust that things are going to go okay. I will never really trust that you're not going to just yank the carpet from under my feet as soon as I get a little bit excited about something, because deep down inside, here's what I feared, that God was just waiting for me to get really happy, and then he was going to just yank the carpet from under my feet and point and laugh at me and say, you thought you were going to have something good? You're not going to get it. And here's what I need. I need healing and transformation. Uh, I can't do it myself. Uh, all of the hours on the therapist's couch could not heal that in me. But over the years, I found more healing as I've confronted God in Scripture and saying, God, just like in the story of John, God, you used his life and you called him great, even though it didn't end up well for him, even though it ended in his beheading. And maybe, God, maybe this maybe, maybe this is the way you work. Maybe you can take broken pieces of life. Maybe you can take uh, deep, deep pain, and maybe you can make it into something that's beautiful. And maybe you'll call that great. And maybe you haven't left me. Maybe you haven't deserted me, but maybe this is a way you actually deal with people and you let people experience deep amounts of pain, deep amounts of frustration, and deep amounts of disappointment, but it doesn't mean you're absent. It doesn't mean you don't know what's going on in your life. It doesn't mean you don't care, and it doesn't mean you don't have a plan. As a matter of fact, you could know, and you could care, and you could have a plan, and that plan might include some pain. Now, me being confronted with uh, God in Scripture like this uh, on a daily basis is the only thing that I've found that has carried me through the years, that has given me faith in dark times, that has given me hope even when I couldn't see uh, any, anything past my own hand. Here's what I know to be true for you guys also, that there are things that have happened, whether in your, if you're uh, a lot of people at Renaissance, you're coming back to church for the first time in a long time, and maybe you're trying to heal from some really bad stuff that happened in church when you were younger or in your family, uh, and you're having a hard time trusting that God is actually going to be there. Well, here's the good news. Sometimes God allows unconscionable pain and frustration, but it doesn't mean that God is unaware of what's going on. He knows. He cares. He has a plan to respond. And every single day, we need to move deeper and deeper and deeper and to let our hearts ex be exposed to the truth of God 
that we see in Scripture. And later, it's a gradual thing, we talked about that, gradually our hearts will continue to be healed and we'll draw closer and closer to who God is. Now I'm going to pray for us in just a second, but I want you guys to, if you haven't filled out that supplication box, I want you to, in your mind, pray along with me. What are the ways that you hope God transforms you uh, in this year, today? And we're going to pray in just a second. Heavenly Father, um, you know the, what's going on. You know what chapter all of our lives are in. You know what we need to hear. Uh, you know what we need to know. You know who we need to be. God, you know what uh, our hang-ups are. You know our frustrations. You know our joys. You know our pains. You know everything in between. You know the areas that we really, really don't want to trust you. You know the ways that we're impatient. You know the ways that we're too self-reliant. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would transform our hearts to trust you, that we will be able to look forward saying, God, you are well able, and we will trust you even on this rocky roller coaster called life, even when we can't figure it out on our own. God, I pray for those who will be endeavoring in CBR this year that as they go forward, that they wouldn't be disappointed or beat themselves up or use this as another tool to feel guilty about not doing, but they would encounter you, that they would meet you in meaningful ways and you would change our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.